the very roots of eating, of negativity and singularity, including the ultimate form of singularity, which is This is the typical violence of information. It's violent because what happens there is a murder of the real, the vanishing point of reality. Let's not have a misunderstanding here. Welcome to Machinic Unconscious Happy Hour with Cooper Cherry, as always, sponsored by the People's Institute for Revolutionary Semiotics. Before we get rolling with today's guest, I uh, just want to throw out that I do have a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash M-U-H-H. I'm a one-man show. Consider throwing me a dollar if you're enjoying the episodes. But enough of that noise. We have a really great episode today. We're continuing this Egoism Month investigation into the work of Max Stirner. So very happy to have Jacob Blumfeld, author of All Things or Nothing to Me, The Unique Philosophy of Max Stirner. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Absolutely. I'm curious, what was the inspiration for the book? Well, I say the first draft of the book was 2009. 2009. So, and then it came out 2018, so about 10 years later of a, of a sitting on it. I was interested in anarchism. I was involved in you know, social movements, anarchist collectives um, when I was younger. There was always this weird figure in the history of anarchism that no one really talked about, especially if you're, like, you're an activist also, which is Max Turner. He's kind of the, the bad boy. And um, at the same time, I was, I was in grad school and I was studying philosophy. And I really wanted to see if there was a philosophical interpretation of Stirner that went beyond kind of the, the standard tropes that I read about him being just like an egoist, an individualist. Because the more I, I learned about Stirner, I learned that he was, you know, um, in context, you know, young Hegelian and interested in, in you know, in dialogue with other uh, German philosophers at the time. So putting him just in the category of anarchism was a bit limiting. So I want to see, okay, can we read him also as a philosopher? And I came at this kind of from an anarchist position, but I was trying to not just impose my categories onto the thinker himself. Right. I'm trying to actually see if I could yeah. get something fresher out of it. And, um, and I, so I, I read, uh, I always had some excerpts of Ego and His Own. It's in like all the anarchist collections. You could read some excerpts from the beginning or from the end. But the whole book itself is rarely read. And most people also just know the criticism of it by Marx. Right. So I really was interested in kind of reading the whole book, reading it kind of as a philosopher, as a German philosopher. I was also inspired kind of by some contemporary writing on Stirner from Saul Newman. Todd May write about him? I don't know if Todd May did. I don't Saul think Todd, Todd May didn't, no. I don't think um, he did, no. Andrew, Saul Koch, Newman, Andrew Koch is another guy that writes on, on Stirner. Yeah, Andrew Koch's article on, on Stirner was really good on um, kind of, they're, they're reading him as kind of a postmodern critique of essentialism as like an epistemologist almost or, right. or, or anti-epistemologist. Exactly. So uh, these were interesting kind of takes. They were still very French. I mean, I, I just jumped right into it. <laughs> I'm, I'm jumping right into it here, if that's okay. Oh, no, go right ahead. So those were very French readings, right? French in the sense of like inspired by, you know, what we call what's called French theory, which is kind of, I think, a misnomer for a lot of different Currents like uh, Deleuze's writings, Derrida's writings, Lyotard, um, Levinas, Foucault—all of them who, you know, a lot of them disagree with each other and would never right. want to be combined. But they all—they all French and they all responding to kind of like a certain tendency, you know, whether that's from Sartre or from Hegel or from other thinkers. And Saul Newman, especially Andrew Koch—I mean, they were kind of rediscovering Stirner. And I was really also into French philosophy. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I, we I, share that too, huh? 
Yeah, very much into it. And I wanted to actually go to grad school to do a dissertation in like uh, Levinas and Toulouse. But I changed, I eventually changed my, my mind because I didn't know the Germans. And I really got more interested in understanding kind of like, you know, all these French philosophers, they seem to be criticizing this kind of German tradition. And I got more and more into understanding this background tradition. Um, Hegel, Kant, Fichte, uh, Marx, and, you know, Stirner, I think, <laughs> is somehow in that tradition. But he doesn't fit. He also yeah. doesn't fit, right? Right. So where is this, where did, who is this guy, Max Stirner? He's part of this weird German tradition that's kind of heavily criticized, and yet he's, he's not a part of it. He's also close to Nietzsche in some ways, who everyone loves as like, but he's also, he's got different issues. He's working on different problems. So I was just fascinated by him. And, and also, I love the fact that he was so hated and so, and so criticized by so many kind of practical, like social anarchists. Right. So it gave me the inspiration to work through, work through Sterner, try to give a new interpretation of him, one that's useful for philosophers to think about, maybe interesting for anarchists and for, you know, um, non-anarchists. And, and I really was also trying to show that he's Hegelian in some sense, or post-Hegelian. He can be read in multiple ways. And, and that's what a good philosopher does. That's what a good thinker does the critic opens up new ways of thinking instead of giving you a dogma to follow. So I did that in 2009 and then I sat on it for a while because I just wasn't happy with it. And then as I started noticing later, like the Sterner memes appearing, (laughs) I was like, wait a minute. Did you have like a, what, when would you say you started to notice them bubble up? I'm just just out of curiosity. Um, Was it 26 Trump, 2016, 2017? Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. 2017. Yeah. I think that's when I kind of started to, but yeah. I was, I, I'd never heard of Sterner until, until really the memes are like, I forget there was, <laughs> there was that Dr. Bones guy. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy, yeah. but <laughs> I think he was, he was, do, he was doing a podcast with uh, Brett from uh, Rev Left Radio. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but yeah, that's, so it was like memes and hearing about him through that is kind of how I became familiar. And then just in terms of like looking on the anarchist library, cause I would just hunt out, hunt down articles, like short articles to read for the podcast. Cool. And a guest and I kind of like we're doing, you know, just, we do a reading, we go through it, what have you. And a lot of them, a lot of the, the like Saul Newman stuff was, was popping up and some of the Andrew Koch. And so that's like the angle that I was first coming okay. into it. And I was like, Oh shit, this is, this is fucking perfect. This is like really aligns with, like you said, that kind of French, theory element and uh, mm-hmm. which I love and anarchism and this other totally, you know, memed character of Sterner. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Who doesn't love like a nihilist every once in a while? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sometimes I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of like a nihilistic era. Right. So, uh, you know, maybe we should return to some of these easy, like, thinkers who were condemned as nihilists. I mean, Sterner was condemned as a nihilist, fascist, yeah. an- anarchist, individualist. Um, Bourgeois individualist, I guess we should say, which I think exactly, is... Exactly. Capitalist. Um, uh, what else was he called? Who knows? He's been called everything. Yeah. So I noticed kind of the, the, revi- the interest in Sterner. And I also, I knew I should do something with this text. So I finally kind of reread it and I reworked it updated it, sent it out into the world. I'm glad, I'm glad I found some readers. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I was going to say, I, I loved it. Of course, I'm like, right. I'm like, I'm the like platonic ideal of your target audience though, you know? <laughs> the one. But, <laughs> right. The unique one, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Which one? Which this one. one. <laughs> but yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great. Like, I love how you just give all these different like lenses. It's almost like looking at a diamond and you're like, okay, so from this angle, you can read Sterner this way and this way and this way and this way. And I think maybe that's the, the uh, allure of Sterner is sort of this plasticity. Can, he can sort of fit in terms of any ideology almost because to like some degree, he, his critique is so broad, right? It's like such a broad critique that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
you know, it leaves a lot of room. It leaves a lot of freedom to take those ideas and, and run with them. I mean, yeah, he's, he's, he's critiquing kind of a way of thinking itself, like a way of reifying and alienating yourself. And that kind of impulse um, is, you know, can be, can be used in many different fields and many different ways of acting and thinking together. So I, I find his, his, you know, his writing um, helpful, yeah, not just in, in like through any one lens, but as a way of kind of continually confronting new problems um, of our own kind of alienation confronting us. And what do you do? How do you, how do you kind of, how do you think through this form of alienation that we have and this form of domination, uh, self-produced, but kind of external to us. And, and Sterner can give you different ways of thinking about that and yeah. talking about it. Sometimes very confusing, right. but a playful, <laughs> critical, funny, yeah. Um, and yeah, in ways that are not boring. At least we could say that. I'm not that big of a fan of Hegel's just, not that I don't like respect Hegelian thought or Hegel or, or what have you, but I'm just not that, Respect. I'm not that enamored with dialectics. Um, I, I don't know. I'm just like, it's my sensibilities that I think stem from kind of the post-structuralist influence mm-hmm. and the kind of anarchic element too, which I think is kind of, those are like, those are in dialectical tension with one another, right? So I'm always curious, but I'm like, I don't know, dialectics is so, uh, it's such a useful kind of like heuristic at the very least for understanding mm-hmm history but i'm always like it's always this conflict of oh like recognizing how dialectics function Mm -hmm. and then even like in using that as interpretation but still being somewhat skeptical i would say i fall in in more the kind of uh camp than hegel outright but Mm -hmm. that's not to say that i won't like take hegelian critiques seriously or hegel seriously i mean i'm definitely interested in delving into hegel's work as well but that's why I'm kind of yeah. curious. So you, you mentioned, um, and I can't, actually can't remember who wrote this, but I was, somebody was saying that it might've been, I can't remember. I'm, I'm reading the book also, uh, the unique and its property separately. I'm doing a full, like full on deep dive Oh wow! with Great. some friends as well. It just got, yeah. Cause I wanted to kind of like prep for this episode. It's like, well, hell I need to read, you know, the, kind of like you were saying I had read, you know, excerpts, excerpts. Yeah. mostly through like Saul Newman and other things. So this was like my first full-on read-through of the, of the book. So I can't remember who made this argument, but they were saying that Stirner may have been the superior student of Hegel's. And I can't, I can't remember if that was you or not that said that. Yeah, I mean, th- I think I, I, I cite Or the this superior w- dialectician, perhaps, maybe, is, is kind of how I've said it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the word dialectics is also kind of fuzzy. and um, True, yeah. And we should, you know, the way it's been kind of taken up in history is a bit sad because it's become kind of this phrase to just mean like, there's this kind of banal idea of like contradiction. Does right. dialectics just mean contradictions? Well, then what's dialectic about it? Or does it mean something like progression through time, but then that's just progress? Or does it mean something like, um, you know, a thesis, antithesis, synthesis, something which Hegel never said. Right. Um, so, and so I, I would be wary of kind of talking too much about dialectics as a, as a, as a framework or even as a method. It's, 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 it's almost like a things can be dialectical. Right. Which means they, <laughs> but it's not a, it's not, and, and, and that means that they're, um, you know, they're, they're torn in tension with, with, with their opposites or, or, you know, they're, they're in, there's a contradictory development occurring that can be productive. Yeah. And then that's kind of, that, and that's it. And beyond that, it gets, you know, you could take it in like left and right ways. What does it, what does it mean? Even Sterner, I mean, in Sterner, he has kind of these weird dialectical he does, yeah. sections, you know, on, on the, um, almost like, sim- like totally simplified, reductive. Like the, uh, the child, the, um, the teenager and the adult in the beginning, he's got like the three stages of history, the ancient. Um, I can pull ancient, up the table. <laughs> ancient, the Christians and the Germans. Um, he's got that one. He's got the three, like the, the different dialectics of, of politics. 
And I would say, are, are these, what do we call these things? Like, are they, I call them allegories, right? What are they? Are they real pictures of history? Because that, that wouldn't seem right. right. Are they real stories of you know, how all humans are? But he's trying to go against this generalization picture. So I see them as they're almost provoc provocations to conjure the spirits that we tend to <laughs> that we tend to use to understand our our lives and our history and and our politics and i think these are kind of ways what i would literally he's trying to bring out these kind of form these generalities these forms of thinking that that we tend to fall back into and show that they are dogmatic or they're temporary or um, we're trapped in certain um or they're fixed or we're trapped in certain illusions and by going through these these kind of dialectical procedures whatever he calls them or allegories, we can, we can take control of them, right? We can own them, right? It's a way of kind of owning our, pre, I call it owning our presuppositions. And that's, that's a Hegelian thing, right? So you presuppose something and then you, you, you question the presuppositions of your own framework and you try to take <laughs> those back into itself. So that's, this is like the dialectical thing. It's always a bit tricky here. Yeah, uh, no, I, so, I, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. So I've, uh, my understanding of dialectics is primarily coming through a, a lot of like what Todd McGowan does in terms of Hegel and like Lacan. So a big focus on sort of the contradiction element and yeah. the, just the contradictory, really with Lacan, like the contradictory nature of, of the subject and sort of this like weird relationship between, and I talk about this too in like some of the, in the actual uh, episodes that we're doing on, on the unique in its property is creative nothing or like the sort of subjectivity or the eye that Sterner comes up with. It's sort of this illusory sort of unnameable thing. Like that reminds me a lot of the Lacanian the lack, so the like the gap of of sort of what is it like a, a signifier signified, sort of that that excess of meaning that es that escapes that like surplus meaning, and so I see a very like similar relationship actually with that and and sort of what Sterner is is alluding yeah. to or getting to yeah. at least it's in like kind of the the same direction and I think the synergy there is just like the Hegelian source for both because yeah. you know yeah. obviously Sterner is he's sort of doing he's memeing and or shit posting hegel and the unique in, in its property right that's yeah, yeah. that's what the allegories are it's kind of like that's very much the spirit of it i think is this kind yeah. of memed parody a parody yeah almost. exactly exactly yeah. Um, yeah. which is pretty brilliant and fun yeah yeah and people tend you know they don't they don't realize this i mean this kind of playfulness and when you read the book you realize how kind of sarcastic ironic bitter funny um the language is is, is very nice to read there and not so when you compare it to kind of German philosophy of the same period it's, it's just so dry yeah totally different right yeah yeah but yeah i mean i think this that you're right there's a common um common source there which is which is hegel's hegel's understanding i mean and, and for me there's a hegel's idea of kind of negativity which i talk about in the book a bit radical negativity is kind of the source of the eye the radical negativity that's always kind of going against its um, environment going against its conditions never fully complete never um never fully definable. Hegel calls that like the I already, and Sterner kind of does too, right? That's it. So they, they have this kind of general, this, this tendency to think about whatever is subjectivity, whatever it is, whatever the I is, it's somehow, it's not like positive in the sense where you could, you could posit properties of that for once and for all. Right, yeah. Right? It, it, it rejects that. It's like, in constant whatever, whatever. motion or like, even maybe that gap of like, uh, between signifier, like that excess escapes signification. Yeah. Exactly. Whatever we try to pin down as the essential definition of, of a subject, of an I, gets consistently lost again. So, you know, whether it's a human being for Sterner, that's kind of the key one, or a rational being, 
or um, or you know a man or a, or a father or a, or a woman or or a race or a nationality. All these kind of qualities that philosophers and politicians and different individuals try to use to name name that name who we are name who we are essentially. For Stirner and for Hegel and for other philosophers, they say, okay, this is this is just not what it is to be alive, to be a subject, you know, to be what we are, which is both and, you know, we're both human and not human. You know, human is our species, but we're not just a species. And Sterner gets that kind of this, and that's why it's so puzzling because he, he realized right. this and, he, and he's trying to express this in a language, but the language is not really developed enough yet for him to yeah. express it. So people tend to see, oh, he just, he's being, con- he's, um, he's contradicting himself because he's saying, you know, there is no, there's nothing to the eye, but then he talks about the eye as if it is everything. Well, because there is this like, you know, tension. Yeah. I mean, how do you present this? understanding of the subjectivity of, of, of a self which cannot get um which is not positive right which exceeds which exceeds any kind of scientific or empirical or transcendental account some people call that freedom even is that free is, that's kind of the freedom of the eye right yeah even, sort of a, a crack in the reel like a um, the outside can kind of slip in or like i don't know it's an access point to the outside <laughs> okay to some degree perhaps I like your uh, your psychoanalytic language here. Um, oh yeah, uh, I mean, I'm a I'm a huge Lacan fan. Okay, uh, good. Precisely, precisely because of the way he uses contradiction. Nice. You know, Lacan sits. He's very much like Hegel does, and even I see this too. It's funny to notice, like in reading Unique and Its Property, he does those same little like like these feints. It's like they lead you down a path. Even Hegel does this too. It's like he leads you down this path, and then he sets a, he sets a trap in it for you, and then he flips exactly. it, and that's exactly that's where the um the connections can be made, or like that's yeah. that process is interesting to me. It's like leaving that like, uh, forget Lacan. Um, you can even see this in that video. There's a video of him on YouTube where he gets uh, bothered by the, uh, the situation a student. Oh, I love that one. Yeah. But there's a point in there. I think he literally even says in the videos, like, I, see, I, I set a trap in everything that I say. <laughs> and he does. And yeah. I just, I love that move that like flipping it's, it's so counterintuitive. I think maybe it's just the way that we're like capitalist and, and liberal ideology gives you this very like structured linear view of reality. And then Hegel t- comes and like totally reverses that. And which I think is yeah. really interesting. Yeah. 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 I mean, just to say like, there's also, there's tons of different ways of reading Hegel and Hegel was read in very boring ways for a very long time. And, and he was kind of seen as the boogeyman. Um, because he was seen as a dogmatic conservative thinker, right. and 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 you know, and a lot of these like French philosophers of the 20th century, they responded to kind of this, which which you know, it is there are those tendencies in Hegel, right? That's right. And a lot of these French philosophers were kind of reacting to the dominance of this this figure, and but that figure has kind of been shattered in the last um, 50 years, I would say. There there's a much more, I would say, you know, negative or um, anti-essentialist even reading of Hegel. Yeah. One that, that, that shows kind of the, 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 cent, uh, the centrality of contradiction, the incompleteness of history, um, the, the, the dynamism of human, of human subjectivity. And, and, you know, some thinkers like, like Lacan are showing this, but there's also, um, or Zizek, of course, is a huge Hegelian, but there's many other Hegel scholars that are kind of rediscovering this element. And, and Stirner already got it. Yeah. <laughs> Stirner already got it. That's the thing, right? And he wasn't, he's not a, I mean, Stirner's not a Hegel scholar. He doesn't care. He's <laughs> using this, this, this way of thinking through, through, our, through ourselves and through, and through time and through history and politics um, that, that, that Hegel's, Hegel's presenting it as kind of a framework of the world. And Stirner brings it down to himself, to me. So, so what right. about I? This person, this one. How do I resist? How do I move through these categories, these, these kind of these these illusions, um, these dogmatisms, right? Because Hegel kind of describes kind of moving through different dogmas and the obstacles that come, and how does thinking you know progress? How does thinking 
develop. And Sinner's like, okay, how do I develop? How do, what, do, what, what do I want? What do I am? You know, he wants to start with, you know, um, real individuals, right? Genuine needs. And, and that's, I mean, that's a radical move in a sense. And that, I think that's why he uses the word egoism, right? Because it's, it's, it's provocative. It's saying, you know, I want to start with this category of, of, of I, of me, um, but I wouldn't call him an egoist. <laughs> but I would say he, he's developing a kind of egoism. I really feel like that word has so much baggage. We need to, there's needs to be a better term for for what Sterner is kind of of getting at um, yeah, rather yeah. than that kind of crude like egoism that that get that you that gets reduced you know re- when you see memes and, and shit of Sterner. Yeah. Although there is a pretty funny one. I don't know if you've ever seen this one. It's like it's basically got like a Nazi one of those Wojak style illustrations. So it's got a Nazi that's like drooling, and then it's got like a Soviet Union uh, character that's also drooling, and it's got and they're like so you only care about yourself, <laughs> and then it's got Sterner, and he says just yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my favorites. Yeah, just yeah. for the like ir- the irony of the like yeah of boiling Sterner down to that, which yeah, I just I mean, think, I think there's so much to him, you know, that you can't really dismiss him the way that he sort of is. It's it's definitely worthy of investigation, whether you agree with everything he says or not. I mean, I I would feel like it's worth the read, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know we live now in in an age where what's called you know base egoism or individualism is kind of universalized right we live in like individualistic ego like superficially egoistic societies in which we are trained to be atomized individualistic only focused on consumption but that's not what sterner was talking about right Right. sterner was not talking about capitalist egoism right he's writing in response to kind of bourgeois society like the birth of a bourgeois society in which everyone everyone in authority positions is telling you you know, that, that you, to sacrifice yourself for this value. The value is, you know, it used to be God, okay. Um, then it becomes country, okay. And then it becomes uh, economy. Um, and then it becomes even justice, you know, the good, love. So that's what he's kind of saying, you know, what is this shit? Like, why, where, where am I in this? So he's, so that's his kind of, it's his egoism. And I would say once you, once you see that, the, the whole picture changes a bit, right? Yeah. He's saying, okay, it's about criticizing the sacrifice of the particularity in, he- in Hegelian terms. All these kind of universal um, ideologies that sacrifice who I am. And, and in, in a sense, you know, these ideologies, they're just serving some other particular group. Right. And, you know, Sterner saw that, you know, Marx saw that also later and tons of other people saw that, but Sterner sees that. And I think that's still valuable whenever kind of yeah. new, new universals, new values come up about like, I don't know. Well, the values end up serving themselves. I think you can see like in certainly the way that capitalism has evolved. You know what I mean? <laughs> they just like the way that own. subjectivity is produced is it's escaped. And I mean, I almost take this accelerationist idea of, of capital as this sort of spectral, <laughs> like it almost is at least an operation. It's like a curse. If you think about the way that like an actual like magic curse functions, like mind control or whatever, like the way that capitalism is doing this, you know what I mean? It's almost akin to that Listen. type of spiritual weird. I don't even know. <laughs> read, read chapter four of, 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 uh, of capital Marx's capital, right? It's full of language of Gothic language, vampires, ghosts, spirits, even Marx himself thinks that like you know, capital is a spooky world um, in which you know the dead are alive right. you know? we live in a world of dead labor and de- and the dead labor control us right machines control us um, in which there are really fetishes and he's he's talking about fetishes like the religious idea of a fetish something that you kind of some kind of thing that takes on a life of its own that you pray to and money becomes a fetish the commodity becomes a fetish and I think there's something real there 
And Stirner was grasping that aspect of kind of the critique of society. He wouldn't call it the critique of capitalism, but he calls it the, you know, the critique of society, critique of the state, critique of religion, critique of morality, this fascistic element of it. <laughs> so, like it, it, so it's useful for us, I think, to use certain modern words to see what he's doing because it, it could be a bit jumbled, right, in the text yeah. itself. Right. So, and that's where like our interpretive, our, our creativity comes in. So that's how I read it, right? I'm saying, okay, this is what he's doing. I think he's doing a critique of fetishism across different fields here. Or I think he's doing a critique of alienation here before these words exist, really. Or before right. these words are common, before that's what he thinks he's doing. Yeah. Um, to be fair, I think a lot of that legacy is due to Hegel. Like, I think Hegel's underrated in terms of what he, the significance of where he was at. Like, he was sort of presupposing a lot of these similar things. Like, even Stirner as well has some psychoanalytic elements to him, right? Definitely, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, like you said, the uh, the development of of sort of the subject. Like, it's kind of an interesting idea. I really like that way that he was talking about how, as a child, you're almost like you don't have all this bullshit. You don't have. You're not as spooked when you're a child. It's like as you grow up. Up, you become more and more spooked because there's more more and more ideology is sort of grabbing you and you're falling into line but early on you're kind of like you see through all the bullshit when you're a kid because you you know what i mean i thought what that was call really it? interesting he, idea. i think he calls it like is it like a realism or something in a sense like we go from realism to idealism to and then the, the end goal is like egoism but like yeah when you're yeah, the kid doesn't see beyond um doesn't see beyond the real right it just sees the surfaces and, and it can it can enjoy it can consume and enjoy the surfaces around it but the older we get, the more our mind develops. We start to look for the cause or the right. reason yeah. or the idea behind the, the, the service. And, and then so, and then, I mean, this is awesome. It's like, like proto-psychoanalysis here, yeah, right? Absolutely. About looking for, you know, how do our traumas and our, and our symptoms develop? And of course, he's not using like the empirical or the, the basis that becomes developed. He's just kind of doing this proto-phenomenology of subjectivity. But, but it's, it's great. And, you know, and, and, and some of the words become also picked up in psychoanalysis. He's really, he really talks about fixity and addiction and and um, and possession, right? You know, one of his big concepts is being possessed, being possessed by an idea. And you know, possessed. You know, there's the relig- there's the the esoteric idea of possession. You're possessed by like a, a ghost. And his ideas were possessed by certain ideas or concepts, but like those are also ghosts. Right. <laughs> they do live through us, and um, and this can be like a you know, you could see him as a therapist and bring up these spirits, conjure them, you know, so we can work through them. Yeah, I love that way of, of reading Stirner, reading him in this history of philosophy. So you, you can read him like as, you know, not just a political thinker or like, a, or, a, or like just a philosopher himself, but also kind of in the tradition of um, psychoanalysis. And, and that's kind of another lens that can open up in many new fields. Yeah, I definitely agree. As an aside, so you, you're in Berlin, is that right? Yes. Okay, I thought so. Um, it's I've, just, I've, been to, I've been to Stirner's grave many oh, times. Oh, nice. Did I see a picture? I feel like maybe I saw that picture or something. Maybe, or am yeah, I crazy? I have a picture of standing next to Hegel's um, oh, that's what it was. That's what. That's the one I remember. Hegelplatz. It's where it's where I uh, used to work next to Hegelplatz, <laughs> and where, where Hegel studied for a while, and where Stirner went to Hegel's lectures. Yeah. And oh, then, um, awesome. and then there's like you know where the free, you know the the young they used to go meet at bars around there, not uh-huh. there anymore. And then um, Max Stirner is buried in Berlin, right? Yeah. He's buried under the name Max Stirner, oh, that's <laughs> not under funny. his actual name, Johann Kaspar. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of graves were like completely destroyed by the Nazis. Uh-huh. Because but they his were, was like, left alone, huh? <laughs> his was left alone because they didn't know what the fuck to do with it. They're like, they didn't know who this guy was. Right? They're like, wait, so who is he? Like, is he, is, is he a communist? Like, was he a fascist? Like, is he Jewish? He, he was a milkman. We will leave his grave. Yeah, just a, just a, <laughs> random, a random, un unimportant He German. was a milkman. The milk. <laughs> that's milk Go the whole on. reason i brought that up was because uh there's that movie i don't know if you're familiar with the movie possession by uh it's like andre zulowski 
that was filmed there in Berlin. So you yeah. said possession, and I was like making these connections with. <laughs> Tell me about the movie. I haven't seen it in so long. Well, I think what's interesting is, I mean, it's shot there in Berlin, like on. I think they shot in both East and West Berlin, and like. Sam Neill is the male lead, and I think he lives on the in West Berlin. And then his wife, who gets possessed, like she's got a flat in like uh, it was like the Turkish section of the yeah, city. Yeah, yeah, my God, I, I forget what it's. It. I forget the you name. Know, I, I haven't seen this since I've since I've been living here, actually. But it was it was pretty cool. It was like right. I mean, they were like right by the wall. Like the wall is pr- pretty prominent in some of the early shots of the film. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I will watch it again. I mean, it's a great city. There's a lot of ghosts here. I mean, this is a city buried in different levels of history, right? We have you know, Jewish history, I, communist history, Nazi history, all kind of flattened. The, uh, I'm looking up the location because that's it's okay. a specific Turkish neighborhood. I mean, is it Kreuzberg? That's where I live Kreuzberg, now. yes. That's it, okay, Kreuzberg. Yeah, well, that's where, I, that's where I am right now. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's you I'm very right. well could be like in that, in that apartment. I don't know. But no, this, it was like right pretty, oh, close to the, oh. pretty close to where the wall stood. Yeah, well, this needs to go right, right through here. <laughs> Back to our actual discussion. One thing, and I don't, I'm, I may be, you know, barking up the wrong tree with this question, but I'm, I've always been curious is for you, do you have an understanding of what, to, of what time is or how time functions for Hegel? Because that's always in my question in terms of dialectic is like at what point, like you're making a choice to make an analysis or look at something dialectically. So that involves a choice. But like, at, at what point are you making your, your investigation or your interrogation, you know what I mean, whenever you're looking at something in terms of dialectics? Because it's more of like, it's, it's a process. And I think Sterner kind of gets at this a little bit too, or maybe at least partially, when he's asking like, which one, like, well, exactly like, which, which one are, are you at this point or that point? You know what I mean? Sort of that whenever you're distilling things down to a moment in time to make an analysis, yeah. right? Like how does that work with Hegel? You know yeah. what I mean? And that's, a, that's a huge question. <laughs> I mean, now time and Hegel. To, if we're going How, off board, just let me know. We, love it. I love it. I love it. Time and Hegel. I mean, those are, there's books on that. <laughs> um, I, I did write, I, I, I did write an article on, on um, called the abolition of time and Hegel actually. Oh, nice. In, uh, okay. Like 2013 published it in some obscure journal. <laughs> um, and he asked a couple different things here. So first, like this quote from Deleuze about how he says Sterner asked, you know, Sterner posed the question of which one to the concept of dialectic. I think the idea there is that Sterner is trying to see, Sterner is trying to look at, you know, how do we, how do we discriminate from the universal to the particular? You know, how do we look at, you know, how do we look yeah. at the, partic- the particular? How do we, how do we carve the, how do we carve that out? You know, um, how do we just uh, discriminate or distinguish, you know, between I and another person and another subject and another, and, and another object? Um, because if you're just staying at the level of abstraction, everything looks the same, right? We're just categorizing yeah. generalities, right. We're making categories to, to, to discuss particularities. But even particular kinds, you know, don't even get to the level of the individual, right? The singular, that which cannot be kind of compared, like the qualitative particular individual subject. My first person perspective is unique. Even if everything about me is completely um, general, generalized, and you know, I'm just like a talking robot, my phenomenological first person perspective, my I is mine, right? And, and Sterner's, you know, I think Sterner's thinking through that process a little bit, starting from this phenomenology of the eye, instead of the phenomenology of kind of society as such, or thought in general, or, or reason. Now that's, the, so that's one part. The time thing is, is very complicated, but it's great. So- <laughs> We don't have to dive lo- too far into that. Lots of I'm- different ideas of time and Hegel. I mean, 
just say really quickly, Hegel um, is, you know, we tend to think of time as an empty medium, right? In which, in which events occur. Right. So time is an empty medium. And, um, you know, we, you know, in time, uh, X happens and Y happens and Z happens in progression. And we can tell a story about these things happening in time. Hegel criticizes this idea of, of time being an empty medium in the end of the phenomenology of spirit in the section on absolute knowing. He tries to think of, of you know, time itself. And, and he's, he's also going back to Kant here. Uh, time itself is a way that, is a way we use to categorize and, and experience, you know, the world as self-conscious beings. Without, without kind of structuring the world temporally, um, we couldn't really have a coherence of experience. We'd be lost. So time itself is also constitutive of what it means to be a self-conscious subject. Right, okay. So there's, there's an element that time is, is bound up in how we look at things differently, and maybe we conceive it as an empty medium, but it can also be just a way of helping us um, interact with reality itself. Now, whenever you decide to kind of cut time and say, I'm, I'm making my, my cut here in, in an experiment or an analysis, you're making a kind of a, a subjective decision. Right. And, and that's also, but that's also creative. And by cutting time in different ways, by doing history or doing an analysis, you create a new object, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and that act of creation itself is part of our own kind of subjectivity of, you know, gotcha. we, okay. we, we, we frame this period, we look at ourselves here and, you know, how do we get the whole? That's the trick. We can't, how do we get the whole picture of time? We never can. So we're both in time and out of time because we could, we could think of, we could place ourselves in time and we could place ourselves beyond it. But somehow time, you know, continually evades us. It, it, it sucks up. It consumes all of our activities, all of our deeds. Now that's why at one point I even say in the book that the, not, the creative nothing for Sterner, you know, it could be time. Ah, that's our very... One I, way, I missed one, that. You were too subtle with that one. <laughs> because, you know, time is the current that kind of, um, he, he talks about like time as a kind of a, a, the, the currentness of time, the current that dissolves all of our property. So I was thinking, okay, what well, maybe he's getting at, maybe there's like, maybe there's an idea that he didn't even really express in which, you know, the, the idea of the nothingness that we are, that this ungraspable element of our, of our I-ness, is that just, <laughs> is, that, is that just what it means to be temporal, to live in time, to exist as a temporal being, something that moves right. um, and that, and that dissolves everything in, into the past. And, and I'm not Ooh, sure if he's, he's thinking that, I'm not sure if he's thinking that, you know, explicitly, but there's some elements there about time and yeah. then you, know, you get to you know heidegger this is heidegger's big you know, yeah. thesis that we are time that's, that, that's what being is interesting it, you know our, our our being is a way of projecting into the future and so oh that's fascinating so all this stuff is there right and and, yeah. that, and you just you poke it a bit more you can pull it all apart right oh that's great um to move, move on a little bit forward <laughs> sure. i hope i solved the, the, the question there no i think that was a good like it's at least a good intervention let's say um good. if nothing else like that's the beauty of sterner right is like you can make that kind of, he leaves you the tools to go in that direction at the very least, yeah. if not directly addressing it. I'm curious what you got out of, because uh, I've been trying to read Vectors of Marx a little bit in preparation, like to kind of fill in some of the gaps for my unique and its property series. I'm curious what, I can't really make heads or tails that it's well hard, of, yeah. of Derrida's critique. I mean, that's a hard read. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I read that book and I was interested in it and, and I liked it because it seemed like Derrida was, was interested in taking Sterner seriously, what, what opposed to many other thinkers. Yeah. And it was, just, it was really weird for a book on Marx to spend so much time on Sterner. Yeah. It's just very strange. But I think yeah. he liked it because in, yeah. uh, the, in the German ideology where Marx, this kind of manuscript that we call the German ideology, just kind of main notes that you know, editors put together later, uh, Marx was trying to Marx and Engels were trying to work through Stirner's critique of kind of the young Hegelians. And in this critique, he, Marx gets 
you know, he deals with, you know, what he thinks is German philosophy. So Derrida is interested in Marx as a philosopher, right? So he wants yeah. to see where Marx gets philosophical. And also Derrida is interested in all these kind of questions of presence and absence and what does not appear. And so this whole um, manuscript on the German ideology is all about um, criticizing Stirner's idea of ghosts and specters and spooks for not being kind of real enough, for not being materialist enough, um, for not having kind of a real basis. So Derrida tries to um, show that Marx itself has his own kind of series of spooks series of ghosts in the background, an understanding of presence. And, and I think uh, Derrida likes kind of defending Stirner a little bit, a bit against Marx saying, you know, um, yeah. Stirner's thinking through the spook thing and Marx is kind of thinking through it a different way, but he's using some of the same tools. So I kind of, I follow through on that a bit in the end of my book, where I try to say Marx and Stirner are kind of using, or Marx is using kind of Stirner's tools a bit. Yeah, taking it in a kind of grounding it in a different historical lens uh, or materials lens. And Stirner didn't do that, right? Stirner's not looking at, Stirner thinks like all of these um, kinds of abstractions are dominating us and should be torn down. And Marx tries to focus on kind of, the, he says there's a historically specific structure of capital, which is like kind of the, the, the cause of all of our alienations and all, all of these problems. And Stirner's like says, no, they're everywhere. Right. It's the state, it's, it's morality, it's the human yeah. being. There are, there are ghosts everywhere. <laughs> and, Stern, and, and Marx wants to kind of target a bit more and say, no, this is it. And here's a, here's a historical argument. Derrida like begins this project, but I feel like he doesn't really fall through on it. Yeah. It gets weak and it's all over the place. And um, it's, a, it's like, you know, it's impressive. Derrida was trying to talk about Marx in the 90s. Yeah. But, um, I mean, he said that's the perfect time, I think. Yeah, exactly. Like, once After, the Soviet Union fell, yeah. that's when Marx is like most relevant, I think. Yeah. Paraphrasing. But he barely kind of worked through Marx, I would say, or Stirner. But he yeah. gave kind of some nice a nice impetus to, to think through this idea of the ghosts and presence and to take Stirner seriously as a philosopher. Yeah. So when I read that book, you know, when I was like in grad school, I was like, okay, you know, maybe I will. So, <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, it was actually inspiring for me almost negatively. Nice. I actually do see like, a, at least, at least broadly, a little bit of overlap in terms of what Derrida is doing and what Stirner's doing. Like deconstruction is in some ways, it's like trying to decenter that you know what I mean? There's a little bit of a similar kind of epistemological approach or like spe uh, skepticism, let's say, like an yeah. epistemological skepticism that I think the two figures share yeah. that I thought was, was pretty interesting. I mean, I feel like that's what sort of the spooks, I mean, and again, the absence and presence notion of, uh, of Derrida, like there's, a, there's some type of through line, you know what I mean? Yeah. Definitely. I mean, Derrida's whole like understanding of difference, right? This kind of gap in meaning between like yeah. the, uh, the the ability to defer and, and and the difference that produces kind of meaning itself in a language in a system of signs. You know, where how, where does this gap take place? And you know, it, whenever you try to systematize or or complete a system of meaning, you'll have this kind of problem of you know um, of of the differences that make up the presences and this this self reflective problem. And Stirner is kind of, you know, he's in a different way showing kind of the gaps and um, the absences that fill in who we are and all the meaning that we have. And, you know, I call that kind of the nothingness um, in the heart of Stirner and um, the creative nothing. And he calls it the, you know, the, the creative nothing. But I, I think it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, Stirner's like has many roots. I think I didn't put this in the book because it was a bit silly. <laughs> but I, I had this like tree, like this kind of a family tree of kind of like Stirner branching out 
Oh, that's funny. Oh my god, I, I think I cut it because I was just like too, 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 <laughs> too, too reductive. But it was like Sterner's like kind of branching out in kind of like an existentialist way. Sterner branching out in a deconstructive way, like his deconstructive followers, existential followers, and then I would say I think what was the third one? Psychoanalytic ones, you know, and and like different kind of tendencies. Like Heideggerian would and Sartrean would be like kind of existentialist. The deconstructive would be like Derrida, and um, then it had like kind of a subtractive reading, be like Badu and Agamben, even. So yeah, I see I see his tendencies like everywhere, but that's that could be more me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> when you, when you want to see someone everywhere, maybe you put them there. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's what yeah. I wonder too. Like often, yeah. just in like when I'm reading this, and I'm because I was yeah. making, I'm also doing um, a, a deep dive into Felix Guattari's Machinic Unconscious. Oh yeah. That I've been well, doing for a while. That's and a I'm so right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I'm seeing like these overlaps in terms of Sterner and I'm like, I'm wondering that same thing is like that idea of like, once you see the pattern, does do you like, you see that everywhere? You know what I mean? And yeah. Yeah. Like, are yeah, you yeah. making, how, or how much does that is bullshit? <laughs> how, much it, how much of it's real, you know? I mean, a way like, isn't that what kind of thinking or theory or philosophy I guess is? That's it's, true, it's, right? it's, it's a way of, to me, it's a way of like putting on a lens yeah. for re for re for seeing things differently. And what does that seeing things differently do? does it do for you? Does it change your options? Does it change your criticisms? So once, once you kind of use Sterner different ways to see different things, it's, it's kind of a lens and that lens doesn't have to be something permanent, right? That lens can also be yeah, changed. True, right. I mean, maybe lens is kind of just a metaphor here and I don't know how good it is, but <laughs> I see, I see this kind of with different philosophers too. So I don't read philosophers just, just to kind of um, criticize or, 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 or commend, but also as ways of thinking that you could try on for a while and then yeah. try off. Right. So I think sort of this, that's kind of like my approach to Hegel is to kind of like, yeah, to like practice, look at things dialectically or like use that contradiction. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes yeah. it's a great, like it maps on the things so well. I want to read this bit. Cause I think like, this is one of the connections I made to Guattari and this is like, Okay. Not necessarily super theoretical, but I like this is kind of one of those little sy- synapses. Um, what page is that? This is page 112. And so Got you it. say, such a social formation, according to Sterner, is incompatible with truly egoistic relations, that is, relations in which individuals appear as singular to each other and not as bearers of fixed identities, roles, or occupations. So what this brought to mind for me is that there is, and if you're looking for that quote, it's going to be like if you see the uh, footnote for footnote 139 or or note 139 yep. is, is near where that actually is. It should be at the bottom of the page. Guattari had this experimental clinic called Laborde, and one yep. of the elements of Laborde was called the grid. And what it was is they would basically flip roles so that no one was ever in like a fixed position wow. at all times. Like the doctors would cook or like, you know what I mean? They would ha- sort of have this rotating thing where even like the patients would carry out some of the doctor's work or what have you so that no one is like you know what i mean and i thought that's very much a sternarian kind of idea oh, man. That's, of like, that, that that's a fantastic example right really that really get that really gets something right on the nose here of this idea which i think i'm talking about the union of egos the kind of classic right Sterner yeah idea. and people tend to think about this in, in such like banal ways of like oh just a union of individuals doing nothing or or of selfish people but you're really right i mean it's about this idea of never being fixed down by a role um and to me it's also like it, for me this is like kind of a way of thinking of like you know what could communism be communism exactly. in the sense of like like a like a like a truly free society yeah and one where we're not dominated like by the need to 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 work for money to pay for things that are like appropriated by, by by owners of capital. What could it mean to live in a society in which we're not just workers or we're not just parents or students or kids in which 
Yeah. We're not fit by Which, this need to subject our activity to a certain uh, role. And, and, and then this clinic and psychoanalysis makes sense, right? Because that's where you could play with these roles and right. reverse them. And reversal is key here. Yeah. There's mutual violation of, of, of ourself and the other. How can we do that in kind of a commune or a collective in this kind of reversal of roles? Now, there's also dangers here, right? So where does things like, what about structure? What about um, accountability? What about, what about like efficiency? Do we need these things? What about like norms? All right. these questions, but these are interesting questions that I think can be discussed from within this framework. They're not refutations. Yeah. Right? They're more like problems that need to be solved in the process of individuals coming together on these terms as free. You know, in a sense, I would call it free as, as free individuals, social individuals. I want to read, read this other bit because this also this this really, I thought, really tied more so like in terms of theory into uh, and I sorry, I don't I didn't note the page number on this one. But let's see. The quote is such identities may appear subjectively false, but they function as objectively real for these categories are not just abstractions posited in individual minds, but are organizing principles of social intercourse. They are determinate forms of interaction that effectively subsume the content of individual life into pre-digested social mechanism with its own laws of motion. And what this put in my head was this notion of like kind of what Guattari calls the machinic unconscious. It sort of ties into like this, the way that like this paragraph really sort of is moving in that similar direction in terms of what, how the machinic unconscious functions, right? Because it's sort of this, you know what I mean? It's sort of this swirling flows of desire and like, like all these machinic components that are, that are external, that are kind of like the spooks almost, you know what I mean? The, sort of these ideas are out there moving around in this sort of machinic capacity and we're like grabbing onto them and constructing ourselves bit by bit in these different capacities, like where the subject is built mm -hmm, externally. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. sometimes we're using our own Legos and making ourselves out of these different things. But what I'm kind of curious is like how that, I don't know how to tie that off in a, in a clean little bow with the notion of the unique or the I for Sterner or the creative mm -hmm. nothing even like, and I even kind of mix up those three, like what's the distinction between those three terms? And like, how does that, how does that look in context of something like a machinic unconscious that's like sort of devaluing the, the subject is kind of like devalued in that sense because it's like these machinic flows are creating everything and everything's sort of being overcoded by capital. And that's how we're kind of built. How does that function in this other sort of radical? Because that's not even, that's like even more materialist than where, what Sterner is doing. If that makes, does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's a lot of good stuff there. I guess one of the things I'm getting at in that paragraph is, you know, the problems that Sterner is pointing out, kind of these, these, um, these, these, these categories, like, I'm not sure which examples I had there, or fixed identities, like you could say, you know, um, a gender role, yeah. or, or, or a racial category, or a, or a nationality, or, um, or, uh, or, so, or something like the category of property, or rights, or money. Right. Um, you could like kind of recognize them as false, right? You could say, okay, these are false, right? They don't describe me. But they function in the world, right? They do, they are backed up by kind of powerful institutional mechanisms mm -hmm. that do structure the world in certain ways according to, you know, a racial identity or a gender category or in, ter in terms of like something like the reality of money as if it's like a real thing separate from, you know, the social relations that produce it. And they, they can operate even if you don't believe in it, right? You could still, you could not believe in kind of value or money or property, but it operates, right? You could not yeah. even believe in gender, but you could still fulfill gender norms. Yeah. Right. And, um, and I think Sterner's trying to say, okay, you know, beyond just a, or the way I'm reading Sterner is it's beyond just a subjective belief. Mm -hmm. They're kind of these, what I call you know, real abstractions or, or social mechanisms that these principles that rule social intercourse. Yeah. But and I think that, that might be like the machinic unconscious, like that might be the same thing, or at least 
Okay, so I, I'm not really um, well versed <laughs> okay. in the concept of the machine gun conscious, <laughs> but uh, but I get what you're saying. So machine gun conscious for you or for Guitari is is a social principle, right? It's not like it's not about my unconscious, is it? It is sort of like it's like again, it, it, it's it's more so like you're there's sort of all these flows that are generate like there's this machinic process that capitalism creates and overcoding and overdetermining reality and like our subjectivity, like our phenom our very like phenomenology, I think. Okay. Okay. So that can I, it, then it, it, um, it overcodes us, right? Our, our understanding of, of right. our desire of our desires. Yeah. Yeah, for certain, for sure, right? So for Sterner, like I have like, all these kind of levels. <laughs> I, try, I try to separate it out. It's very confusing, right? Yeah. There's there's the I. There's the unique. No, there's the I. There's individuals. There's owners, right? There's property. Um, there's owners. There's ownness. <laughs> uh, and then there's the there's the unique. And then like there's the creative nothing, right? All they're all kind of related, but not all the same. <laughs> yeah. So um, I would say for Sterner, you know, we're all like each of us is an I, right? We're each each of us is a kind of an I who kind of uh, consumes the world, consumes our uh, consumes our prop our properties. You know, we have attributes, we have properties that define us, and 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 to be an I is to be in constant consumption and negotiation and use and abuse of these properties of who we are. And some of these properties come from outside, you know, they're, they're, they're put on top of us, some come from inside. Um, and to be an owner in Cerner's category, in Cerner's language, is to kind of take control of, these, of this process of production of categories of who we are, of ideas, of concepts. So to, I would own kind of my, um, my, my alienation, my, 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 you know, what alienates me, I, I want to own it. I could destroy it. I could remove it. I could play with it. Um, that's to be an owner and to be kind of a unique or to be, I mean, the idea of the Einzige, right? Or, or the mm -hmm. unique, that's kind of like, they're just trying to capture, you know, what is, what is it that is doing the activity here? What is it that is, how do we name the activity that's, that's unnameable? that's pushing against the boundaries of language, that's, that's not just predetermined by social codes and social mores. What is this, this thing? And you know, to, to use the word unique or uniqueness, it's just, it's just a way of saying um, it, can't be, it, can't be, it can't be pinned down, right? It can't be uh, generalized, it can't be categorized. So it's almost like a functional term or a band-aid to put on a problem that can't be named, right? That's kind of what's about that unique one. Gotcha. And the creative nothingness, I would say, is kind of the, the more unconscious level. That's the creative nothing. That's kind of from which I produce myself. And you can gotcha. call that an unconscious or, um, or time, you know, maybe. I mean, in, in Freud also, the unconscious is also kind of it's weird. The, the unconscious like exists. The unconscious like is all time for Freud, right? Because it has also archaic remnants. Oh, yeah. Right? right? The, the, the remnants of archaic history is in our, is in our unconscious. Right, all the history of language, history of symbols. So for for Sterner, I mean, he's not thinking like on that level, but you know, the creative nothing is also kind of time itself. It's the yeah, unconscious. It's from which are from that that from which we are becoming singular. So there's kind of a, almost a proto phenomenological like typology yeah. here, right? Which is not so not maybe there completely in Sterner, but you could you could develop it and work right. through it and try to bring it out, and that's what I try to do. Yeah. So like this uniqueness and like, this is me trying to just work through my understanding of it. Like what is actually unique is my sort of phenomenon, phenomenological sensory experience of existence. That is that the sort of I or the unique that Sterner is, is kind of positing at that level, or is there like a different level that he's operating on or is like maybe register is the way to, to uh, define it perhaps like, I mean, I, th I think that's, that's inseparable from it. So the okay. idea is that I can't, I can't truly um, experience the world that the way you experience it, right? Right. Okay. Um, we can, we can, we can, we can share it through language and through um, through dialogue and through understanding. 
Um, but there's something uniquely you that no category I use will capture completely. Although we, although you can describe yourself in certain ways, and that you knew that uniqueness of you is, is kind of um, phenomenological. Right? It's about your self-consciousness, how you present yourself. But it's also about your needs, you know, your desires, um, your will, um, your history, everything that makes you you as this one, right, and not that one. So we want to say like, in this uniqueness of you, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, you don't always appropriate it. So Sterner wants you to reclaim that uniqueness, you know, to, to, to seize it and, and, and then to meet other people on that ground, right? So we come to each other as eyes, as unique eyes. And then on that ground, we can, we can form a union. And that's kind of a bold, bold idea. Instead of saying, let's come together, you know, um, on, what, like, on what we share, and maybe we share certain things. Um, I like this, you like that. Sterner's like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, like, I, I, I am I, right? I, there's something uniquely I. And you are uniquely you. And on the basis of this common difference, we can come together. Right. I recognize you as you, you recognize me. For me, so I also read this through Hegel a bit, right? Yeah. There's the whole idea of mutual recognition in Hegel about the uh, I, okay. the, self, the self and the other. Right. How does the self recognize the other and how does the other recognize the self? And how does kind of the self recognize the other recognizing itself? <laughs> right, that, that, that's Hegel's problem. <laughs> that's so, right. That's awesome. So that, that, that's, that's, that's um, you know, the, ch the chapter on self-consciousness, the master and slave in Hegel's Phenomenology of Spirit. It's a great Which short Lacan section. is like, runs with that Loves too. it. Read that short section one day if you want. It's great. It's, it's, it's wild. So I read that also in, in, in Sterner's idea, right? How do we get others to recognize ourselves as, as uniquely ourselves? That's his kind of ethical. I read that's his ethical push, right? To, to, to liberate us from the need to identify with principles and categories handed down to us that only serve others. So begin, begin from ourselves. Right. From there, from there we can move forward. Build the commune, build the union. If you'll indulge me one final quote uh, for discussion and then we can, we can wrap up and then let you get on with your life. Um, no problem. I do want to read this because like moving towards the, you know, this discuss we can wrap up on this sort of discussion of the, the union of egoists, which I think is very much like aligned with Deluso, Guattarian kind of, thinking as well because of like i don't know if it's necessarily the the union of egoists is a it's like a rhizomatic entity or thing right because it's sort of like yeah you just attach to the machine you you know what i mean it's kind of comes together it someone leaves like it it's flowing right it's not a fixed rigid sort of system but there's also like the assemblage assemblages of enunciation for like Deleuze and Guattari has some similarity, like maybe the, and maybe that's more so like Sterner's eye than the union of egoists. But I want to read uh, this passage from the text and we'll kind of wrap up here. In that sense, Sterner's union embodies Hegel's concept of freedom as the mode of being with oneself in another or being at home in another in an association of free individuals, a union of eyes, a commune or whatever one wants to call it. I am not limited by others, but I find myself empowered by them released from my own limitations, but this does not mean that our interactions are settled once and for all, fixed in a new organizational structure. On the contrary, any social form is but a means to develop the content of each individual, and if it becomes constraining, then it can be dissolved. And I mean, I think that passage is like, that's very much the spirit of what Deleuze and Guattari are, are getting at, ultimately, in this like notion of of rhizome or you know assemblage of enunciation i don't know like there's something there's like a contingency that Deleuze and guattari are very preoccupied with that i think mm -hmm. sterner is also like that's sterner's primary preoccupation mm -hmm. is the contingency of the individual unique ex sensory experience of subjectivity yeah i think uh they, Deleuze and guattari would take take note with like um with my kind of embedding it in kind of a hegelian framework here they would probably not like that 
but but I think there's something there, right? I mean, the way I, I, I see this kind of union as, you know, a situation in which, yeah, the other does not limit, limit right. me, right? So in a, in a standard theory of like liberal, um, liberal individualism or liberal, or liberal kind of rights, every other person is seen as a limit on my freedom, right? So that's why we have this thing called property rights so that um, we could know what, who, what's mine and what's yours. And we have rules because everyone's kind of a threat, right? Everyone's like kind of a threat to each other and, 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 and that's kind of the, the extent of my freedom goes to you. I think Stirner is trying to say, and you know, and I was hoping to like go against the grain here with kind of most readings of Stirner, who, who sometimes tend to think of him in this kind of liberal framework. Yeah. In this eye, saying no, Stirner kind of starts with this kind of radical understanding of an eye, of the kind of radically negative subject. And the other is not a limit to that, right? He doesn't see the other, like another person, another subject as like somehow a threat. It seems as like someone who also can like appropriate the world for themselves, also develop themselves. And that person can be enjoyed by me, right? right. He has this category of enjoyment. You know, we, we enjoy each other. The jouissance. Yeah. We enjoy each other's presence. You know, we have, we have what he calls intercourse, which is just a German word for like interaction um, or discussion or kind of community or, or coming together. So I use kind of Hegel's idea here of uh, being at home in another, of, of, of a kind of the eye that finds the other as also a condition for itself. And, um, and, and, that, and, 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 that, and, and that's like also not something fixed for Sterner. Right. So many people would say, okay, that's, we have that structure. Um, it's called, let's call it like the state, you know, why not call it like, or the an institution, right? Or some kind of like political form or the collective or, or the Soviet, you know, why not find a political form that can stabilize this structure uh, in which individuals can find their freedom together. And Sterner here is a bit more pushing against this, right? Because he says, well, actually there should also be this, always this ability to escape, exit, to secede, to, to leave, to break down. Because anytime this kind of social form or, or this form of interaction becomes settled, or frozen, it become a, it become a new means of domination. Exactly. And, you know, just look at the history of the 20th century of all these kind of attempts to liberate individuals and put them in some kind of new social form, um, whether like in the Soviet Union or fascism or or liberal capitalism, whether it's the market or um, or the state or or society, they become new ways of dominating. And 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 Cerner says, okay, so even that has to be open. Yeah. And and that's the really radical thing here, right? Because they have then how do you both have this this space in which to be you know unique with others right and yet and yet it's not something that you can ever kind of institutionalize right there needs to be contingency contingency has to be built into the structure or it's going to crumble or it's going to become a new form of domination so what would that look like and then for me so then i go into like yeah you need to rearrange society itself (laughs) so that's possible right so you need to get bigger bigger scales but but you know you could start small or sterner as well and then, you know, I look for Deleuze and Guattari also, you start, you know, with a clinic. A schizoanalytic going on a walk or schizophrenic going on a walk, <laughs> so to speak. I did want to mention just briefly that I forgot to say this earlier, but you were talking about approaches to Sterner. Um, so I believe that Alfredo Bonanno, Bonanno. has yeah. a good piece on Sterner that I, I'm not sure what it is, but uh, I have heard that. <laughs> I have not read it, but I don't know if you've ever read any Bonanno. Of course. Yeah, man. Oh, joy, I, man. Holy shit. I know. I know. I know Bonanno from, 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 nice. from a while ago. Yeah. And, he does have a piece on Sterner. I don't, he actually has a whole book on Sterner. It's not translated, but he has, I think one article translated and um, he has this great quote. I, I think I did not put it in the book, but it's something <laughs> like, yeah, I, I didn't see any Bonanno at all. Fuck. 
There's this, <laughs> no, I think I forgot it. I think I forgot about it, but there's this quote. Next uh, edition, right? Sterner is like a bull in a China shop. Now Sterner is like a yeah. bull in like, in, like, in, like, in a shop full of like, you know, fragile. Um, fragile cool. little ghosts and their yeah, little. And, and, you know, and fragile little porcelain, little, like, porcelain plates. And, and Sterner's just like, like a bull riding through and just smashing everything on his way <laughs> Exactly. Out. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and so and 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 Bono Bonato loves that about Sterner, you know. And yeah, I mean, in in the in the conclusion, I try to say a little bit more about his influence, but there's a whole interesting legacy of like people that read Sterner, like Dadaists, individualists, illegalists, avant-garde artists, um, situationists, also Raoul Van Eigen, um, Emma Goldman, um, even syndicalists. So like this this kind of the actual concrete political legacy of Sterner is like radically open as well. Yeah, but super interesting and um, and fascinating and. And yeah, this Bonanno book should be translated one day. That'd be great. Someone should do it. I guess I have to learn Italian for that. <laughs> right. Are you familiar? Do you know uh, Elliot, who Elliot Rosenstock is? He published, uh, he also is a zero books author. He published so far uh, Zizek in the Clinic. Uh, I remember when that came out, but I don't know. But he's, uh, he's got a new book coming out that's like a Hegelian, um, it's like Hegelian egoism. Let me see if I can... I think he has the cover here. So the, the ego and its hyperstate, the dialectical oh, wow. dream of oh, the cool. dialectical dream theory of self-interest. I don't know what's gonna when it's gonna be published yet. Uh, I think that's still being worked okay. out. But did he talk about Sterner at all or no? Yes, yes. Uh, so I, I've done an episode with him, and he sort of has this interesting like Hegelian egoist approach that oh, I don't know cool. you might find interesting. I'll I'll email you the, yeah. the link because he has a pretty. It's like a short episode too. But he's gonna sit in with us on the next installment of the uh the unique in its properties here i'm calling it the ego book <laughs> nice, <laughs> or ego, ego. ego book so yeah yeah yeah. the book the good book <laughs> i really like this um this also this uh, this manifesto by this group um is it the right to be greedy I, I quote it in the conclusion the right to be greedy by this group for ourselves they're like a situationist group from the from the bay area from the Ooh, 70s that sounds cool and they have this kind of they 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 have this idea of what they call communist egoism and uh, I, think, I think it's awesome. So they're trying to also combine these two traditions together. So they're also kind of like an inspiration for, for, for my reading of Sterner. This kind of heretical reading of Sterner. <laughs> heretical reading of Sterner. Is that even, that's a contradiction, right? That's, exactly. that's, that's <laughs> yeah. Or it's just it's redundant. Right. But Jacob, I, I don't want to keep you any, any yeah, further. I unless, unless you have, do you have any last thoughts or anything you, you're working on that you want to plug um, or, or whatever? Definitely take yeah, the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I write articles for this uh, magazine called The Broken Rail. You can um, go to Broken Rail and search my name there. I write about kind of politics. I've been writing a couple articles on property. So the Sterner stuff that got me interested in, in thinking about property. So I have an article on expropriation. You know, what does it mean to actually expropriate property? And um, Marx's idea of expropriation a little bit and expropriation as a political strategy um, today. And, you know, we, listeners might find that interesting for, for kind of the connection to Sterner. And I have another kind of manuscript. It's it's more academic, but it's on the concept of property in, um, in Kant, Fichte, and Hegel. Oh, that, that sounds interesting. I mean, yeah, we so, we're big nerds here, so... Yeah. Anything theory related, we, yeah, we so consume it. That will be coming out hopefully next year or, or, or something like that. Um, and yeah. So Very nice. Please, uh, well, uh, once again, Jacob Blumenfeld, author of uh, All Things or Nothing to Me, the unique philosophy of Max Sterner. Thanks so much, Jacob. Uh, but really this will be, uh, this is going to be Machine Unconscious Happy Hour with Tupper Cherry signing off for the week. What's the, what's the German goodbye? I don't know that one. Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen. Ah, duh. Auf, auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> oh, tschüss. Right. Tschüss. Guten Tag. Guten Abend. Ciao. Bis später. As Max Sterner would say, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, this was awesome, Jacob. I'll let you get on. I know we're over time, but uh, th thanks again, man. I really, I really, really appreciate it. This is the typical violence of information. It's violent because what happens there is the murder of the real, the vanishing point of reality. Let's not have a misunderstanding here. Thank you.